Hello, everyone. Welcome to another edition of the Little Egypt Sports Podcast. I'm your host, Todd Hefferman. I wish I could whistle. <laughs> I wish I could whistle, too. That's one thing I've I never... That one skill. Yeah, one skill I've never developed in, in 40, 44 years is the ability to whistle. But... Uh, the two people that can whistle next to me today are Bucky Dent and Les Winkler. Happy Wednesday. It's a beautiful fall season out there. The leaves are starting to turn. The weather's getting a little chilly. It's starting to look a little like football weather at night. But uh, some pretty good football games this weekend. Um, they're early in the conference season, but West Frankfurt hosting Benton. Both teams 4-0. Uh, West Frankfurt has a really, uh, really good quarterback, Connor Eaton, who I think is a better runner than a passer personally but then mason clay benton's defense has been pretty good their opponents though are combined two and 14 this year but benton has scored 42 points three out of their four games or or more they scored 50 on somebody earlier this year uh they have a running back that's going to be pretty good for them um what do you uh who do you think is going to win friday and how do they win on friday bucky all right, um, Benton and West Frankfurt. I'm still mu- I'm still mulling over that pick as of late Wednesday morning. Um, I guess you have to give a slight advantage to Benton, if for no other reason than the old comparative scores factor, which can sometimes circle around and get you in a whole lot of trouble. But looking at the couple of common opponents they've played, Pinkneyville and Sparta, they've both boat raced Pinkneyville, and Sparta, on the other hand, Benton beat it 42 to six. West Frankfurt had to rally in the second half to beat Sparta 33-24, and both those games were played at Sparta. So I guess that's where you give Benton a slot edge in this game. But uh, Connor Eaton is capable of making anything happen on any given play, and if Benton is not able to contain him, West Frankfurt's got a chance to win this game. I, I went with Benton in the picks simply because Benton has more more experience. Uh, I think Connor Eaton will probably be the, the best player on the field, although... Uh, Benton's Tyler Butler is a bull in the china shop. He is the real deal. When when he, he gets the pad squared up and heads north or south, he can he can flat run. He's and he's he's a, a very good defender too. Plays kind of a unique situation. He plays defensive end and and running back, which is a combination you don't you don't see every day. But uh, yeah. I, I he's. When when the going got tough at Heron last week, they they went to um, they went to Butler and Butler just kept moving the sticks for him, and it, it was ultimately the difference in the game. He just they were able to they were able to run out the clock, add a touchdown late because he just kept moving moving the change. So he he can play. He's he's if you're in the neighborhood, go go watch him play. You won't be disappointed. And go early because it's a noon kickoff on Saturday. We all know that parking around Johnson Field just there just isn't much of it. So. The earlier you get there, the better, because you're going to have a hard time finding a parking space very close to that field if you don't get there, say, before 10.30 Saturday morning. It's kind of Johnson, uh, West Frankfurt's version of Wrigley Field. It's just tucked in the middle of a little neighborhood there, and it's yeah. most of it is on-street parking, so it can, get, it can get a little dicey. And for those of you who have not been to a West Frankfurt-Benton game before, it's the tailgate game. You know, you're going to see cars parked around the, around the football field behind the visitor side, Almost to, almost to the end zones in some cases. It has its own unique atmosphere. It's one of the best games to go to every year, no matter how good or bad the teams are. And since they're both 4-0 this year, it's, it's, it's going to be crazy over there Saturday. 
And it's going to be hot. It's going to be in the 90s, apparently, on Saturday. So that's another thing to watch for. You know, cramps, fatigue. You're going to have guys going both ways. You know, there, there's some factors to figure into this game. Well, and then first you can go to, to go see Carbondale and Cahokia on Friday night. That is our game of the week. Uh, Carbondale's 4-0. Cahokia's 2-2. Two two. They just lost to Marion in a close game last week. Carbondale's uh, ninth in the AP poll. Marion is 10th. Cahokia is getting votes. Um, and then uh, Carbondale doesn't play Marion until week 8. So that's uh, the rest of the South 7 doesn't look particularly that challenging. Uh, maybe Centralia in there, but uh, Mount Vernon and Altoff uh, having tough years. So this is a, a really big game for Carbondale especially, but, but Cahokia could get back in the conference race pretty quickly if they're able to win this game. Oh, definitely. And this is going to be Carbondale. I think this is going to be Carbondale's toughest test to date, tougher than, than Murfreesboro was. And the, the reason for that is Carbondale has some things that it has to figure out this week. It has to get rid of some of the mistakes it's making offensively of pre-snap penalties, you know, not executing as crisply as it would like to. And, 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 the, and the other thing is they're going to have a mad Cahokia team coming in here. Cahokia really, uh, from from reading Tim Petrovich's story, Cahokia kind of got outplayed most of that game by Marion Friday night. Marion controlled the ball most of the night. Cahokia still had a chance, but Marion had the ball for over eight minutes and scored. Uh, this is a huge game for Carbondale. As you mentioned, the rest of the South 7 does not appear that challenging. I saw Carbondale win at Centralia. And Centralia just simply could not run the ball against Carbondale to save its life. It couldn't get off the line of scrimmage. Carbondale has a really good defensive front seven. This is also a very big game for Marion. There are three three good teams in the in the um, in the uh, South Seven is Marion, Carbondale, and Cahokia. Marion's already beaten Cahokia, so if if uh, Cahokia can turn around and uh, beat Carbondale, that puts Marion squarely in the driver's seat. On, on the other hand, if, if Carbondale wins, it sets up a huge game in Week 8. That should be a lot of fun to watch. And you look at the high school schedule coming up. If things break the way that I believe they will, Week 8 is going to be an absolute beast in this area because you're going to have probably a, t- a matchup of two 7-0s in Carbondale versus Marion at Blyer Field. In Sur, Mississippi, you're going to have possibly 7-0 Nashville at 7-0 DuCoin at Van Meter Field. And in Sur, Ohio, you may have 7-0 and Benton at 6-1 and Murphy if those teams continue down a winning path at uh, Vincini Field. So you're talking three potentially monster games all in the same week that could decide conference titles. Maybe we get them to spread it out like on a Thursday night and a Friday night and a Saturday <laughs> so we can go see them all. <laughs> we could only hope, right? <laughs> yeah, Saturday doubleheader. There, there we go. Yeah, Saturday doubleheader. Yeah, there we I mean, go. I was well, going to say Saturday doubleheader at the, at the Saluki Stadium, but the Salukis are at home that week. So. Well, and then we'd, 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 have to, we'd have to play the first game at about 9 a.m. so we can meet our deadline <laughs> on Saturday. That's yeah, about the truth anymore. <laughs> that's, uh, that's not, you know, do, do you think Carbondale and Marion should think about playing on a Saturday? Like the Johnson mm. County rate, you know. I, I guess they. I don't think they ever have, but that's a, kind of an interesting uh, yeah. idea. Now that we're getting to it, yeah. Friday night football is kind of a kind of a tradition in Southern Illinois. So I don't, so I, I like some of the Saturday games. I like the fact that we the, this summer or this summer this fall we were going to have an opportunity to almost every Saturday to cover a game. I, I think it's nice for a while, but I think I, I think it's just the 
the whole Friday night atmosphere. I think that's that's pretty important to high school football. Yeah, and that's and that's why people groan when you see more college football games being played on Friday because it does take away from both of them, as far as I'm concerned. You lose a little bit of uh, fan support in those areas where you're having college football on Friday night, and. To some extent, I don't necessarily know that the colleges really like to play on Friday night, but when TV says jump, you ask how high. So. And, and, the, and the other side of that is when there's, when there's a big prep football game in southern Illinois on, uh, on Saturday afternoons, I think it does affect SIU attendance too. Yeah, I think, and that's the other way. I think SIU doesn't want to you know, compete with anybody on Saturday, especially if they're at home. You know, so they wouldn't uh, – and it will be a big home game. They're off this week. But next week they are on the they're on the road um, at South Dakota State. That's their first conference game. Uh, number three, South Dakota State, most likely. Uh, so that'll be uh, be an interesting test for them. But uh, first of all, yesterday was uh, Missouri Valley Conference basketball media day. Uh, both Cindy Stein and Brian Mullins uh, brought a couple players with them and talked with us for a little bit. Um, what are your expectations for the men's team? Uh, Last they've got ten newcomers. The poll won't be out for another week or two. They're probably going to be picked seven, eight, nine. I find it hard to believe they'll be picked tenth. Although some people at Valley Day Media Day thought they may they may get picked tenth. Um, I think anything over a winning record would be great. Yeah, they've got they've great got, start. Yeah, they got two good guards in Aaron Cook and um, uh, Eric McGill. Um, both of them very athletic. Uh, both of them uh, are. Pretty good clutch players. I mean, both of them stepped up and made some big time plays at the end of games last year. Uh, but it's you know there's this is just such an open book this year with, with all the newcomers. It's just it's just really hard to. I mean, it's the valley. The valley is a guard league. They have two good guards to start. So we're we're going to see how uh, how the the, the fill in player how the fill in players are. And fill in players is the wrong wrong term. It's the the, the people who Brian's brought in. This year we're gonna we're we're gonna see how good they are because it's it, that's gonna have a lot to say about how this team turns out. Yeah, I think this year with all the new players, the expectations can't really be that high. Um, as you point out, two good guards can can carry a ways. I mean, you, you're going to win some games because college basketball has become a guards game. You know, just because of the rule changes, the the shot clock being what it is. The, the fact that it is tailored for guards to be able to do certain things. So I think by that alone, SIU is going to be competitive uh, most nights. The trick is going to be, can they get the kid from Northwestern to be a contributor inside, which would help them immensely, and can they get pretty reasonable play from, say, three or four other guys? If you can get that, then you might be able to match or six or or surpass expectations maybe you can have a winning season you know and i i don't know enough about the personnel to this this is just off the top of my head but if, if brian can take siu back to that defense first mentality which this seems to be a team that you may want to do that with right uh, that that can also take you a long way D- defense can keep you if, if you can hold your opponents to, to 50 60 points you're going to have a chance yeah, I think this could be a good defensive team, too. He's recruited really big guards. Um, some of them have been pretty good rebounders over their time. Eric McGill's pretty good offensive rebounder for him. And then, uh, you know, Barrett Benson, the Northwestern center that Bucky was talking about, I think he's probably going to start. It's just who, who are they going to have behind him uh, is the question going into the season, I think. But they have Richard Freshman, forward Sekou Dembele, that's a really good athlete but hasn't played in a real game yet. 
He's coming off of a, of a stress fracture in his leg. He's still another week or two from starting practicing with them. So that he could be back by the start. And then they have a 6'8 forward, but he's a freshman forward. Uh, Marcus Damasco, I think, will be really good. And if they want to go small, they can play, uh, you know, Harwin Francois, a big guard, or uh, um, uh, even, you know, Lance Jones or, or anybody, uh, any of the other big guards they have um, to play that way. So that's, they have a lot of questions. But that, that's what kind of we found out yesterday. A lot of teams in the Valley have question marks of the guys that haven't played big roles that are going to. And Missouri State seems like the big favorite, but we saw that two years ago when they had Alizé Johnson and they finished in the play-in games. So different coach, fair to say, but uh, I think it'll be a nice race this year. And I, I think the health of, of McGill and Cook is going to be critical this year. I, I don't. You know, McGill has been battling injuries his, his career here. I, I think both have to stay healthy for the Slookies to have a have an opportunity to, to finish in the upper half of the, of the conference. I imagine the women will be picked uh, fifth or possibly higher. Uh, they have everybody back uh, from last year's team, all five starters. They, they added a, a couple good forwards that one redshirted last year, another one is a Juco transfer that's a really long 6'1". Um, I like their front court. I like their guards. They just got to put it together. They were 15-15, and 15 and they lost – Six games divided uh, decided by six points or less last year. They they continually shot themselves in the foot last year. They just turnover prone, uh, just just like they would have lapses of concentration once in a while. I I really like their team Phys- physically. I really like their team. Uh, uh, Mackenzie Sylvie has as quick a release as I've ever seen anybody in a Saluki uniform. When she, when, when she catches the ball and shoots, it's almost like watching a good second baseman turn the pivot on the double play. You you barely even see the transfer. Brittany Patrick is uh, a nice point guard. She is so strong. It's just fun to watch her play. And Nicole Martin, if Nicole Barton can improve as much from last year to this year as she did from her sophomore year to her junior year, she will just be a beast. Abby Brockmeyer is a very solid all-around player, and uh, Krista Nelson uh, last year was a kind of a streaky shooter. I think at one time she made seven or eight threes in a row. And if if she's scoring from outside uh, and the Slukies get uh, a couple other people that can hit from the perimeter, they're, they're going to be a team to reckon with. It seems like to me clutch play is sort of a learned art and the fact that it lost so many games by six points or less last year, and I remember your tweets would point out frequently missed layups, missed free throws, uh, blown execution, whatever. That's Those are things that you can generally improve on over time with more experienced players. And the freshmen and sophomores they have had should be turning into juniors and seniors by now. And the Valley is a league where you win with experienced players. Yeah. So, I'm sorry, go ahead. So... If they can improve their execution, make the shots you have to make at the end of close games, take care of things at the foul line, that 15-15 and 15 might become, oh, say, I don't know, 21-9, and 22-8. Yeah, it was, it was pretty amazing last year. Uh, they, they, you know, somebody, would, somebody would make a strong move, and it's, it's not one person. It, it, would, it, it kind of permeated the entire roster, would make a nice move to the basket and, and be, approaching, be approaching the rim under control, with you know, with a with a defender on their hip, and somehow, so many layups would happen, would manage to roll out. I mean, it's not like they were missing the rim or anything, or 
or, or getting rim blocked. It's just that the balls, they just didn't finish. The ball would roll out and zip out, and it, it cost them so many times. And, I mean, when the a play like that can just really change the momentum of a game, too. Well, and then uh... – the end, the end of the baseball season's upon us. The, the Cardinals are in. Uh, we're still figuring out who they're going to play. Uh, you know, what do you think their, their chances of having some staying power in the postseason are? <laughs> well, I, uh, since I said in the, the end of July or the beginning of August that this team was so bad that they had no business making any trades to bolster their roster, and <laughs> now they're, uh, now they're uh, as we record this, their magic number for the division title is three. I'm not sure I'm the, the best person to talk about that. Uh, you know, the things came together for them. The five guys that had quit hitting uh, in June are now at least making enough contact to make themselves relevant. Dakota Hudson and uh, Jack Flaherty, who uh, were, had showed flashes of brilliance, are, are, have been as has been as good of pitchers as there are in the National League for the last six weeks. And if they can get – I think it's very important they get Colton Wong back. If you if you have Colton Wong at second, that means you can put uh, Matt you can put uh, Matt Carpenter on the bench and put Tommy Edmond at third. That improves your defense and improves your speed. And I, the way Carpenter's been playing, I think it improves their baseball IQ. <laughs> Here's the thing, too. I mean, I think you're you're looking at them. If they win the division, they're playing the Braves. It'll be in Atlanta, three of five. The Braves have been a tough matchup for them this year. They beat them five of six. The Braves have one hellacious lineup, although they're going to have some injury problems coming into the playoffs. Ronald Acuna, who was hip last night. Freddie Freeman's got bone chips in his elbow, apparently. And there are some questions about the Braves' relief core. At the same time, if you're the Cardinals, you know, you're going to be an underdog, but you've got Flaherty. And right now, Flaherty's the best pitcher, has, has been the best pitcher in the National League for a prolonged stretch since Jake Arrieta in the second half of 2015. His ERA since July 7th is 099, I think. He was overpowering last night against Arizona. So they have a chance. Flaherty pitching the way he is right now to anchor that rotation. Hudson's been a good number two. And Adam Wainwright's more looked more like the old Adam Wainwright instead of an old Adam Wainwright. <laughs> and that's a big, big difference. It is a huge difference. And, you know, the other thing in the playoffs is they can kind of play with the with the rotation a little bit because I don't think you're going to see Michael Waka starting any games. No. And if they can set up their rotations for Wainwright to pitch at home because he's just been dominant – and I don't understand why you can be dominant at home and and not and struggle somewhere else, but it's just a fact. That's the way it's gone. So if you can if you can go set up your set up your rotation, so Wainwright pitches at home. You know I kind I kind of like Flaherty, Dakota Hudson, Mike Miles Michaelis, and then and then uh, Wainwright. Yeah, you're going to be looking at Flaherty, Hudson in games one and two in Atlanta. I'm sure, assuming they are able to hold off the Brewers, who just continue to. The Brewers are basically like the cockroach you can't kill right now. They just don't go away. Yeah, who'd have thought that Christian Yelich was the problem holding the team back? Yeah, yeah, that's my column there today. Why the Brewers are held back by Christian Yelich? Come on. But yeah, I think you look at that rotation. Flaherty Hudson in games one and two. I think you start Wainwright in game three personally over Michaelis. And, And then you go from there and see what happens. And here's the other thing, too. If you get to the postseason, that's the time when you, when you, 
really want to count on on someone like an Andrew Miller who was so dominant for the Indians three years ago in the playoffs and could shorten a game basically to five or six innings when he was on at its best because you could bring him in in the fifth or sixth and you could get two and a third innings out of him and it'd be lights out, game over, drive home safely. Except for the home run he gave up in the ninth inning last yeah, that night. Yeah, that, that <laughs> and that, that, that kept some people up until about 3.30 in the morning to end up watching them lose to the Diamondbacks in front of about 39 people in Arizona. I, I got I got to confess, I got out of bed at uh, 12.57 last night to watch the 14th inning and then returned to bed angrily. To, you called it a night? I called it a night after they blew a, another lead in the 14th. You would so. have been angrier, I believe. I think it was the 16th when this happened. When they had first and third of one out and Carpenter up against a righty that he figured to at least put a ball on the, put a bat on the ball, and he instead swung meekly at three pitches and whiffed. Well, he did, he did the same thing in the... 12th or 14th as well yeah. came up with runners on first and third all they needed was put the ball in the grass and nope strike out yep. well enjoy the weekend uh thanks for joining us today to subscribe to the southern illinoisan call 618-529-5454 or go to the southern.com uh, we're on apple itunes as well if you want to subscribe to our podcast Leave us a comment and tell us how great or how awful Les is. And, and, we'll, uh, and, that last and maybe, maybe we'll email you back. <laughs> Thanks for joining us.